0: Welcome to the Lexington Public Library's Tales from the Kentucky Room podcast, where we discuss everything Lexington and Fayette County history. I'm Miriam, and in each episode of this podcast, we will feature a guest that will share a piece of local history. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Good day, everybody. Thank you for joining us for our Kentucky Room podcast. Today, we have Dr. Jonathan Coleman. Jonathan Coleman was raised in eastern Kentucky and moved to Lexington in 2007 to begin his graduate work in history. He was named the James Still Fellow at the University of Kentucky and received his doctorate in 2014. Jonathan Coleman often lectures on queer history and was a consultant for the Kentucky LGBT Heritage Initiative funded by the National Park Service. In 2014, Coleman, along with the artist Robert Morgan, founded the Faulkner Morgan Archive with the goal to collect, preserve, and promote the LGBTQ history of Kentucky. His forthcoming book under contract with the university press of kentucky is tentatively titled anywhere together a queer history of kentucky welcome dr coleman oh Uh, thank
1: you for having me it's a pleasure to be here
0: all right and and today he's going to be talking about the faulkner morgan pagan babies archive which is going to be exhibited at the lexington public library in may right Um, yeah we're excited about it we're excited to have the archive exhibited for our customers can you just tell us a little bit about the archive and how it came to be Sure.
1: So the archive began in 2014. That was a busy year for me. (laughs) Got my Ph.D. and started an archive.
0: Wow. Um, Lazy. (laughs) I know.
1: Well, sometimes. uh, I would call it more procrastination. Uh, uh, And uh, the archive started um, out of a great year. Uh, Lexington was just coming out of a pivotal year for LGBTQ history. Transylvania University had mounted a show called "I'll Be Your Mirror: A mm-hmm. um, Hundred Years of Lexington's Queer Community," mm-hmm. which Bob Morgan had curated. The Washington State uh, filmmaker Jean Donahue had just premiered her film, "The Last Gospel of the Pagan Babies," which looks at this queer community mm-hmm. that's around in Lexington, mm-hmm. starting during the Civil War. And so there was a lot of us. Uh, there was a lot of conversation, and so. It was a moment of what's next.
0: Yeah.
1: What are we going to do now? Mm-hmm. And Bob was particularly concerned about his collection. Yeah. The exhibit at Transylvania had mostly come from his own private collection. Mm-hmm. And what was going to happen to it next? Yeah. There were a few collecting institutions that were interested in parts of it. Okay. Especially the pieces related to Bob's mentor, mm-hmm. the artist Henry Faulkner. Yeah. But Bob had his concerns. Bob has been around for a while. He yes. has seen a huge amount of change. You know, he came out in Lexington in the early 1960s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's been around, and he was a little concerned.
0: What kind about, of momentum that it would gain, or would it? Well,
1: he of, was more concerned about mm-hmm. public institutions, <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, sort of state funded. Yeah. And in twenty fourteen he was he was afraid. You know. We have great relationships mm-hmm. with those institutions and really admire the professionals there. Mm-hmm. But there's always that fear yeah. of what if the culture changes? Mm-hmm. What if a state legislator gets a bee in his bonnet, <laughs> which seemed perhaps a little bit too protective in 2014. Yeah. But sitting in 2018, I know we, we felt a little bit concerned. Yeah, we yes. felt a little more okay with. It. And so Bob's feeling was maybe the best thing is just to let. You know, someone else who'll take care of it, have it for a while. Yeah, like we almost like kick the can. Like mm-hmm. we're going to wait until like we feel. And it's kind of you know, it's not a conversation that happens often in history. No. Like, do we feel that this stuff will be safe? Like, do we feel like this stuff? Will yes. Actually be? Normally, normally yeah. this kind of
0: collection, if it was any other community, it would be. Right. You know, like, like you know, highly, it, it's, not no, it's not
1: politicized um right. the way the LGBTQ material is. Mm-hmm. And so we began meeting every Sunday at Bob's house. And Bob would literally like pull out things from like the side of his bed or out of a drawer. Is
0: that where he was storing everything? Yeah, in his house. It was his stuff.
1: And I had my video camera rolling Mm -hmm. and Bob would sit down and he would talk about a piece. Mm -hmm. Uh, We would do that for about an hour or so. Then I would take those pieces, place them in archival housing, and then create a collections guide Mm -hmm. for that session. And so every individual item, had an entry, and it also had a timestamp. Yeah. So folks could go back and look about at Bob talking about that piece. That's specific. So we actually <laughs> developed sort of our own methodology okay. uh, that attached the stories to the artifacts themselves. Mm-hmm. Within a few sessions, we realized that this was a much larger project. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a lots, huge unterta- yeah, undertaking. Yeah, than just Bob. Yeah. And so other folks within the community started saying, well, I have these things and I don't know what I'm going to do with them. And the archive started really at a pivotal time yeah. because an important generation in LGBTQ history is getting to a certain age where they're thinking about their legacy mm-hmm. and they're thinking about the future. And we have to capture those stories yeah. before they're gone. And so a short four years later, we have now had over 80 some sessions. That's incredible. Uh, we have about 15,000 artifacts, over 200.
0: 15,000. 15,000.
1: Art- it's huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And over. 200 hours of oral histories mm-hmm. and so I think we are the largest collection of LGBTQ material in Kentucky now there's mm-hmm. another very great archive based out of Louisville that's been around for a while called mm-hmm. the Williams Nichols yeah. uh, and they're good friends of ours and we work together a lot
0: yeah. and um, share kind but of I way,
1: think so. in, a sp- in a sense of uh, spirit of competitiveness I think <laughs> we have now breached them a little bit in terms <laughs> of the number of things we hold <laughs>
0: doesn't hurt anybody. It doesn't. No, yeah. no. Yeah. So you told us a little bit about how it got started now. What's what's to come for the for the archive?
1: Well, hopefully lots of things. So we are now our own 501c3 nonprofit. So we okay. incorporated late last year. We just came off of a collaboration with the UK Art Museum, bringing in the artwork of a forgotten queer Kentucky artist named Edward Melcarth. Yes, we read Uh, about
0: that in the and then local uh, newspaper. Yeah. Oh yeah! Great. Very interesting. And so.
1: We were able to partner with the Forbes Corporation in New York who had a big bunch of his stuff and brought Mm -hmm. it down here to Kentucky for us to enjoy. And so we're getting ready to switch gears. And our next collaboration is of course with the Lexington Public Library. Uh, Starting in May, we're working together to bring out an exhibit called Out in Plain Sight, Mm -hmm. uh, Lexington's LGBTQ Places. So it'll be an exhibit focused on about a dozen sites within Lexington itself that tell an important story mm-hmm. in LGBTQ history.
0: Yeah. And just for our listeners, we are also going to be doing some walking tours that kind of highlight the LGBTQ community and and highlight the history of that community as well.
1: Yeah. So how
0: did Robert Morgan come into possession of all these items? How did he get all, all this stuff?
1: Well, <laughs> Bob is a natural-born pack rat. Uh, <laughs> there's no other way to explain it. He... From the time he was a kid, he was a collector. Uh-huh. and Yes, let's it, call him
0: a collector. Now, <laughs> <Pat
1: Brown. laughs> Both work. <laughs> yeah. And so it even is reflected in his art. Like he makes these assemblages of things mm-hmm. these collected. A lot of times other people would say, it's trash, it's junk, right? It has to be thrown <laughs> away. And Bob has the magic to transform it into these beautiful pieces.
0: Mm-hmm. It's his treasure. It's his
1: treasure. Yeah. And... In many of the cases and things that are now, you know, some of our favorite things in the archive, you know, at one point, someone probably would have said this needs to be thrown away. Mm -hmm. And so it comes from various places. Of course, a lot of it generated by Bob himself, Mm -hmm. but the majority of it actually generated by other people. Yeah. A big one is Henry Faulkner. Mm -hmm. Henry Faulkner, raised in eastern Kentucky, uh, travels the world, was... Unapologetically homosexual uh, in Lexington in a time when that was a very dangerous and illegal thing to do. Known for his outrageousness, Mm -hmm. his rather fanciful lifestyle. And he takes Bob in in the 1960s. So Bob is sort of raised by Henry Faulkner, becomes his studio assistant. Um, And when Henry dies, Bob inherits a lot of Henry's papers and especially his photographs. And so we have over about a thousand photographs from Henry Faulkner that date all the way to the 1930s. uh, So early on in Henry's life. Uh, And then Bob also collected material from his friends who died during the AIDS crisis. So Bob is one of these folks who happened to survive when so many of his friends did not. Mm -hmm. So he became a caretaker to a lot of folks here in central Kentucky, dying of HIV. At one point, literally having mattresses, you know, on the floor in his apartment. And so when these folks died, a lot of times their families simply did away with everything.
0: Yeah.
1: And so we have photograph albums and material from folks you so know, when that was left families, on the curb.
0: Yeah, well, the yeah. families got rid of them. he went and collected them.
1: Right, yeah, of, literally sometimes yeah. going after the funeral yeah. and digging through the trash oh my goodness, um, outside of their houses. Yeah. Uh, sometimes even folks. One man in particular, who'd been beautiful, photographed uh, by a famous queer photographer named Tom Bianchi, and he comes back to Kentucky and he, to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he gives Bob these photograph albums because he knew when he died, his family would throw them away. Mm-hmm. And so while Bob has been the force behind that collection, the collection itself is much larger than Bob's story. Mm-hmm. It encapsulates the lives of um, multiple generations of queer folks.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Preserves their story, their their life. And, right. Yeah. And he felt like this was important for people to get yeah. to know. Yeah. yeah.
1: And so he and I uh, certainly, <laughs> our personalities mesh there. I'm a natural born <laughs> pack rat too. And so I had already started my own small collection and these okay. uh, two things just
0: clicked combined
1: into yeah. the archive. Yeah, yeah. That's
0: good. That's good. So can other people contribute to the archive?
1: Oh, sure. We are always looking for stories. We always need more things. There are huge gaps in the archive and the stories that we can tell now. So we're always looking to fill them. And so uh, they can contact us on Facebook at the Faulkner Morgan Archive page. They can email us, info okay. at faulknermorgan.org. Okay. And we're always looking for stories.
0: All right. We'll, we'll try to put all that information up on our website. So hopefully that'll get people interested to contribute and, oh, yeah. uh, and grow the collection. Um, earlier you had mentioned about the exhibit for Edward Melkarth collection at the Art mm-hmm. Museum, at the UK Art Museum. Can you tell us a little bit more about that one? Or that oh, exhibit? Edward's How one would...
1: of my favorite stories. Yeah. And we found Edward through Henry,
0: Henry Faulkner. Henry
1: Faulkner, mm-hmm. yeah. So I was getting ready to write my chapter on Henry. In um, your book? In the book, yeah, in the forthcoming book. Mm-hmm. And so there were all of these references when Henry, in the late 1940s, he's in New York, uh, which is a period of his life that isn't well explored yet. Yeah. And he's living with this other Kentucky painter named Edward Melcarth, mm-hmm. who I could find nothing about. And so I start digging, 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 and come to find out Edward was born in Louisville. He was actually born Edward Epstein to a wealthy Jewish family in Louisville.
0: Okay.
1: And very different life than Henry. Henry Mm. was poor. Henry ran away when he's 14, all of these sorts of things. Uh, Edward went to Harvard, (laughs) uh, got to study in Paris, and somehow these two hook up in New York. Wow. Uh, And it must have been a really fantastic few years So in 1950, and this is while Henry and Edward are living together, Edward's named one of the 19 young artists to watch. Mm -hmm. He's collected by major personalities like Gore Vidal, uh, Tennessee Williams, Peggy Guggenheim, Mm -hmm. and Malcolm Forbes. Mm
0: -hmm. And yet there was no information about him. And there
1: was no information. As the 1950s progressed, Edward, who was openly queer, Mm -hmm. Jewish, an openly communist. Oh, my God! Um, he gets blacked. <laughs> <The trifecta. laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and he gets blacklisted. Right. The FBI raid his studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, they confiscate his passport for a year. And, of course, this really hurts his ability to sell his work. Folks are afraid to associate with him. Yeah. And so Edward has to leave the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so he will live the rest of his life in Venice, Italy, where he dies fairly young in the early 1970s. Oh, wow. And so he just falls off the map. So while Henry Faulkner was able to enjoy you know, a prolonged period of success and still hotly collected, mm-hmm. Edward Malkarth was pretty much forgotten. And I was able to find one of Edward's students okay. who was still living. Uh, his name was Richard Tadai, uh, still a working artist in New York. And so we started to have these great interviews. I started to discover more about Edward's life. Mm-hmm. And he mentioned, oh, I'm still friends with members of the Forbes family who have this huge collection of Edward Malkarth stuff. And uh, he got me in touch with them. They invited me up. And then I came back (laughs) to Lexington and I went to the UK Art Museum and said, we have to get some of this stuff here to show because it's amazing. And it was a really successful show. Yeah made the national press several times, and there's now been this resurgence online of interest in Edward Melchardt. Yeah. So I'm excited to see where that's that story awesome. goes.
0: That's awesome. Well, you are lucky. You're a lucky historian. You get two different collections <laughs> yeah. that nobody has ever discovered, really. So
1: yeah, that's... So the, and I'm happy to announce that the Forbes actually donated some of those pieces to the UK Art Museum.
0: That's incredible. That's very uh, so generous. So there are now some that's, incre- that's awesome. Uh, that's good. it came back to Kentucky. yeah. yeah. That's that's a good way to honor his history and and uh-huh. uh, and I feel like a lot of times um, the LGBTQ community's h- history gets buried. Well, as a
1: as a historian, it's a particularly difficult community to trace yes. because a lot of them were trying desperately to hide yeah. uh, for obvious reasons, and so when you do have queer folks who show up in the archive, it's almost always under terrible circumstances: <laughs> arrests, suicides. Mm-hmm scandal. Mm-hmm. And so how do you find the story of these people whose lives really depended on not being found? Yeah, And so historians have to be creative. And so queer history especially relies on oral history. Mm-hmm. Um, in the exhibit at the public library, there'll be a whole panel that talks about history and myth. Mm-hmm. Like, these rumors, the gossip that flows through a city, <laughs> yeah, you have to pay more attention to that as a of queer course. historian, yeah. because chances are that's how you're going to access stories that didn't make it into anything mm-hmm. else.
0: And um, people that study history, that's kind of counterintuitive to listen to gossip, and unless it's you know, right,
1: you know, historians recorded, want things that are written down, written down and um, recorded. Right, yeah. you want to be able to go and um, and cite those sources. Yeah. Um, And hopefully get some, you know, backed up material Mm -hmm. um, that helps to prove it. But that's not true with queer history. And you have to be okay with that. Yeah. And it's fun to explore. It sort of expands the mind.
0: That's great. Well, we're looking forward to that exhibit at the library. Thank you so much for for coming and and talking to us about the Faulkner Morgan Pagan Babies Archive. Oh, thanks. Um, And I hope everybody gets a chance to take a look at it and join us in May to view the archive. Thank you so much, Dr. Coleman.
1: Thanks. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening to Tales from the Kentucky Room, a podcast brought to you by the Central Library's Kentucky Room staff at the Lexington Public Library. If you enjoyed listening, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. If you have any questions about local history or genealogy research, you can visit us in the Kentucky Room to use our collection and newspaper microfilm. Or you can email us at elibrarian at lexpublib.org. That's elibrarian at lexpublib.org. I'm Miriam, and we'll be back with another trip down Lexington's memory lane.